battling the relentlessly negative doom and gloom news media. It's the Nick Stenger Show. Coming to you live from the Stenger Family Office Headquarters, it's your host, Nick Stenger. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Nick Stenger Show. My name is Nick Stenger. We are the Stenger Family Office for the past 42 long years. It has been our mission to deliver both clarity and confidence to help secure your financial future. Welcome back to the show, episode 125. Hard to believe that we keep coming back each and every week to give you the clarity and confidence, the good news, the reasons why you should stay on your plan. It's not always perfect. It's not like there's we're perma bulls and everything's always positive. We try to call balls and strikes and tell you what we think. But the reality is, is that over time, the stock market goes up because companies make more profit. That's it. And that's what I want to keep reminding you of on this show. Now, in the short run, we have called attention to the fact that there are downsides, that there are risks. And the big risk is the Fed. We'll talk about the Fed just a little bit today. We have hammered them very hard. The title of this episode is Powell's Next Victim. And Powell is like the Grim Reaper going around slashing things until something breaks, raising rates until somebody uh, gets wiped out. That's really what's going to happen is somebody will ultimately ultimately pay the price. Uh, I, I do not think, and this is my opinion, but I do not think we are going to have a soft landing like some people think. I think somebody will pay the price for this ridiculousness that's gone on with money printing. And, and that's really the thing that's going to drive markets in the short term. But in the long run, stocks will go up if their earnings go up. If you pay the right price for those earnings and you don't overpay, um, you, you'll be fine. You'll, you'll do just fine over time. Before we jump in, I just want to remind you, we've got a bunch of events coming up. We have Dr. Jeremy Siegel quickly approaching September 7th. Get it on the calendar. Uh, we've got a couple spots left. If you'd like to come join us in Oakbrook on the 7th for a lunch event, 11.45 a.m. for lunch, we'd love to see you at Gibson's in Oakbrook. Dr. Jeremy Siegel, Stocks for the Long Run. It's the book right behind me on the on the desk. Don't miss him. And then we've got Investor Day, our big last event of the year in person, downtown Naperville, November 14th and 15th. Get it on the calendar. If you're coming into town, get on the room block, and uh, we'd love to see you. We've got Strive Asset Management, the people that vote the proxies with a pro-excellence agenda coming into town to speak. Excellent speaker, Justin Danhoff. Sam Hardy and I saw him in New York City when we rang the bell at the New York Stock Exchange a couple weeks ago. You can't miss him and then we also have first trust portfolios one of their uh, senior economists who's absolutely incredible i've heard him before he's very very good and you don't want to miss that event november 14th and 15th downtown naperville hotel indigo is the hotel and if you're coming into town get on the room block asap thank you for being with us episode 125 powell's next victim let's jump right in i have made the case for the past six months now after doing all these due diligence meetings after meeting with all these top portfolio managers that the singular focus of the fed and and i there's no confirmation of this because i can't you know nobody can really understand what powell is thinking but my argument has been that they are really watching the 
employment number, the, the unemployment rate, as their proxy for inflation. And I think that's wrong. I don't think they should only be looking at a singular factor. That's what we that was the big mistake we made during the COVID era was we did single factor analysis. And that led to really, really bad mistakes on a policy level with the federal government. Uh, it led to lockdowns and all these awful things that ended up causing more damage than they uh, helped. And obviously, I'm not saying COVID wasn't a serious thing. It was. It was just that the the reaction to it was based on single factor analysis under President Trump and just not really handled well, in my opinion, at all. Um, and now we, you look back at excess deaths and we've lost more people from other things to drug and alcohol abuse and to suicide and all these horrible things the past couple of years. And that's a result of bad analysis. And, and so that's where we're at today. I think the Fed is making a mistake severely with single factor analysis. Again, no, we, we don't have 100 percent evidence of this. So take this with a grain of salt. But my analysis, he is looking at the labor market. The labor market's very tight. We went into 2019, 2020 with a very tight labor market and about three and a half percent. We're right back to three and a half percent today. There's a couple reasons, though, why the three and a half percent number now is causing such a problem with wage price inflation. I don't think we're 100 percent into a wage price spiral yet. That's where wages keep going up. So companies have to keep raising prices. And because companies are raising their prices, workers need more money to survive. It's a spiral. Right. Um, I don't think we're quite there yet, but we will get there if the Fed doesn't cut rates or at least pause very, very soon. I think they're making a massive mistake each and every raise. They say they're going to raise again in September. We'll see what happens. But or maybe November, actually, too, is what they're, they're talking about. If they do, now we're talking about a short term treasury that pays six percent. And that is really going to pour cold water on small business. And that's really the point of this week's article is that small business is going to pay the price for the bad policy of the past couple of years. Now, obviously, there's a lot of small companies that have mismanaged during this time. Don't hear me wrong. There's plenty of them that have not properly managed their risks, that have taken on way too much debt, that thought rates would be zero forever. That was really bad math. I can't understand how like SVB and First Republic, some of these banks, some of these management teams, how could they possibly think rates were going to be zero forever? Maybe they thought we'd go negative like Germany or like some other places in Europe or Japan, but I just can't understand why they would think rates would be zero forever. When rates are zero, there's one place for them to go, and that's up. And sure enough, they went up. And, and so when rates go up, long-term bond prices get killed, small business gets killed. Look at the performance difference on large caps versus small caps. The past three years, it's just been absolutely ridiculous, and, or really the past five years too. But that's the real risk of rising rates is not only do you dampen the demand side, like we talked about last week, not only do you slow consumers down, you also slow the businesses down as well. And you're left with less supply at a time where you need more. Inventories are down. Inventories are, sh are shrinking. And I think this is also going to be an interesting thing to watch. So here's the reality of the past couple of years. And there's a couple factors that have gone into these record low unemployment numbers. Um, but I also want to make a, a, a note that here's how the average retiree that we have as a client this is their experience the past couple of years, 2018, 2019, normal years, right? Just business as usual, usually on a four, five, six year time horizon until retirement. 2020 hits, 
completely different year, a goofy year. Comp just nobody understood it. It was just insane. And we went from uh, being wide open, normal business as usual, to closed. People were worried about COVID, worried about all these different things. Um, on top of it, the government threw all the stimulus into the, in the economy. We, we printed 44% more dollars into the economy. Well, the stock market went up 40%. And so anybody with a million dollars in their portfolio at the beginning of COVID in 2020, if they held on and didn't panic and were working with an advisor and didn't sell out of the market and their stocks, saw their account go from a million dollars to a million four in a very short amount of time, and they felt the, the bump of the stimulus instead of really understanding the, the value of their dollar. Their dollar was still worth a million dollars at the end of the stimulus, but on paper, it looked like a lot more. So what do I mean by that? Well, if you had a million dollars at the beginning of COVID, an average car cost you 35,000. Well, at the end of COVID, yeah, you had a million four, but now look at the average car price. It, it's tough to get a, you can't get a pickup truck for less than $50,000, okay? Brand new. You can't get a, a Toyota Camry for less than 45,000. Uh, it's very hard to do so. So that's what happened. Look at housing prices are up 40%. So there's no free lunch. That's the Milton Friedman uh, statement that there's no such thing as a free lunch. Thomas Sowell has expanded on this a ton. You gotta get his stuff, get his, his books, they're classics. But there is never a free lunch. There's always a price for a bigger government, for a bigger Fed, for a bigger money supply, and that's that your dollars are worth less. There's, there, you can't just create money out of thin air and think, oh, we're going to give everybody stimulus and have no consequence. There's always, always, always a price to pay. Now, here we are, 2022, it, it, 2022 rolls around, market drops 20%. Your million four now became a million you know, maybe like a million one, million two, roughly, depending on how aggressive you were in your portfolio. Today, all the people that got bearish 2023 have not made up that differentiation, that 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 drop. And that was the big risk. People who went too bearish for 2023 and their advisors put them in heavy, heavy bond portfolios have not kept up with this rally. And and this was a pretty obvious rally. I, I urged caution at the beginning of the year. I said, just watch out for some of the tech stocks. But in general, uh, there is an article that we wrote at the end of last year. I think it was October, November sometime, you know, where the S&P was 3,800 points, that stocks were dirt cheap and you should be buying and, and sure enough here we are today s and is right around 4500 points what a great buying opportunity and, and so all the people that went bearish for 23 had made a big mistake now that's not to say that the market's not going to give some back we're not going to give up a little bit of our return this year but even if we end up you know 12 13 percent for 2023 that ain't bad that's a pretty darn good return and I actually think it might be a little higher. I think we could end the year closer to 45, 4,600 points, 40, maybe 47 would be really pushing it, but it, it kind of in that 4,600 point zone that we capped out at a few weeks ago, now we're in a 4% correction. You could see though, before the end of the year, a small decline. That's not atypical. Don't, don't get nervous if you see another 5% downside or 6% downside temporarily. That's just part of owning equities. In the long run, and this is where we have to be careful giving predictions and projections and all that, so don't take this as, as investment advice, but 
just the basic math of where I see things coming out next year is that earnings are going to be very positive. And, and that earnings number we looked at three weeks ago, the earnings projection number for 2025. Why do you talk about 25? Because the market's a forward-looking indicator. So by the end of 24, the market will trade on 2025 earnings, just like at the end of this year, we'll trade on next year's earnings. So at, if you look at the earnings estimates now in the S&P 500 for 2025, uh, they were 273, then they got revised up to 275. Now they're revised up again to 277. I, I tend to think they may get revised again to 280. And, and you think, Nick, how is that possible? How, how can you possibly believe that earnings are going to keep going up in a time where you, you have some doom and gloom and all these negative things? You named the article Powell's next, vic next, next Victim. So how can you say those two things at the same time? Well, remember, there's a difference with the S&P 500, which are the 500 best companies in America, the 500 largest companies versus all the other co companies. You see, that's the differentiation. You could see a massive outperformance continue in large caps versus small caps because the big just keep getting bigger. They have these war chests they're sitting on, these massive cash balances. Uh, the, uh, Apple's cash balance, and we'll get into this in a second, is bigger than the GDP of like a lot of countries. And I'm talking a lot of big countries, just their cash balance. So that's where you could continue to see this differentiation go higher, uh, that, that gap between large cap and small cap could even widen further than you think over the next couple of years. Now, if we do trade the market at 277 times earnings at the end of next year, I think it's very possible we end 2024 over 5,000 points on the S&P. I don't want to get too specific yet. Let's see how the next couple months go, but it could even be over 5,200 points all dependent on what the Federal Reserve does. Powell's going to talk on Friday this week. By the time you watch this episode, uh, his comments will probably be, be out by then. So we'll see what he has to say. But I think the I think the reality here is that it's all going to come down to where are rates at the end of next year. So if you're contemplating retirement and you have a pension, a lump sum, give yourself a couple years. If you were going to plan on retiring next year, a lot of people that are on the margin, and this is not blanket advice. So you got to have a specific plan put together, a customized plan. But if you were on the margin and kind of thinking, maybe I should wait, I would wait. Get yourself through 2025 when rates really start to come down and stabilize. That's when I would expect a lot of the good news in rates, a lot of the good news with valuations. And at a 19 forward price to earnings ratio, which we're at today, we're not dramatically overvalued on the S&P. Uh, I think we're actually fairly valued. And until we get into the 22, 23, 24, 25 price to earnings multiples, that's when we would start to get a little more cautious. But we're just not there yet. You could have a situation like the late 90s, uh, the, the years leading up to the tech bubble were 1992 and 3 and 4 and 5 and 6 and 7 and 8, all very positive years that if you sat on the sidelines, you would have had no return. And then finally, you would have chased return to get in in 1998 or 1999, seeing all the money your friends and relatives had made, and then 2000 gotten blown out of the water. See, so, so that's why you have to stay invested across the entire cycle. You don't want to chase performance. You don't want to chase return. You'll ultimately, if you sell today, uh, I believe you will ultimately have to get back in at higher prices than, at you, than, than what you sold at. And, and that's the big risk when you try to get fancy and time the market. Okay, the AI stuff right now is a hot topic because we've got this 
record high employment cost number that's just come out, a record tight labor market. So we've got two things going on at the same time. We have companies that have record high employment costs. They've never had to pay more for salaries and benefits than they do right now. It's record all-time highs. At the same time, real earnings, so the company earnings that they pay to employees, real meaning after inflation, are lower than they were two years ago. See, so, so this is the big risk. And, and I think when you get into politics, we just had the GOP, the first GOP debate. The big question in the general election is going to come down to wallet. And it's going to come down to, are, are you better off today than you were four years ago? Which I think a lot of Americans are going to respond, no, our income on a real basis, on an inflation-adjusted basis, is lower than it was before Joe Biden took office. And this is not a political statement. It's just the reality of money printing. And remember, it's happened under two types of presidents. It's happened under President Trump. It's ha uh, happened under President Biden, is we have printed an insane amount of money, which led to inflation. It's led to a lot of inefficiencies and problems in the economy. And that's the big question people are going to ask themselves is, am I better off today than I was for years ago. And, and again, I think that answer could be no, especially for people in the smaller part of the bucket. Remember, small business employs 50% of this country. That's a massive amount. There's an insane amount of companies, small businesses that employ less than two people. And it's just a, a solo business or one or two or three people, something like that. That's a lot of employment in this country. And so we have to just really watch these small business numbers because that's what drives a lot of consumer spending. And so the next breaking point to me, the next victim that Powell will have, you know, think about Powell as the Grim Reaper slicing up, you know, whatever his next, uh, his next uh, thing is here. You know, he went after SVB, done. He went after uh, First Republic, done. Now he's coming after small business. That, to me, is the big risk here. And it's not that every small company is a problem. In fact, I, like, I, I think there's a lot of small companies in the um, private equity world, and I'm not telling you to buy private equity. You have to be very careful with that. We don't buy it for our, our clients because it's got a lot of liquidity issues and all that. Um, but there's a lot of private companies that aren't publicly traded that probably will do fine. It's just the indices that you can get into as an investor in the public markets that I think pose a threat. And that's your uh, small cap indices, your Russell, your S&P 600, the, the smaller cap indices that can pose an issue. So there's three threats that I've identified. Number one is high interest rates. And that's the fact that large companies are well enough capitalized at this point. They have enough cash on their balance sheet to pay down existing debt, to lower their interest costs, and then therefore finance new projects without taking on loans at 10 plus interest rates like a small cap. A small cap's always gonna have a worse interest rate than a large cap because they don't have the luxury of higher credit scores, higher credit ratings that large companies would have. Small companies have lower credit ratings across the board on average. And, and so because of this, they have to pay more in interest to bondholders at higher rates. and. And the other issue is that when you have risk-free rates today of 5.5%, I can go out and buy a one-year treasury for 5.5%. For a lot of these corporations that are sitting on billions of dollars of cash, they are going to make the decision that I am better off taking my 5.5% risk-free than risking it into something that may prove to be unprofitable. Investors are going to have to make that decision when they buy companies too. So here's, here's a couple easy examples. Apple has $60 billion in cash, cash equivalents on its balance sheet. 
Tesla has $23 billion. Berkshire Hathaway has $164 billion. $164 billion. Microsoft has $111 billion. NVIDIA that just came out with earnings. By the way, their earnings were blowout. And I'm not, not an investment recommendation here, but they did incredible. And with this AI push, which I think is probably a little overdone uh, for a lot of these dot AI companies, but for NVIDIA, they seem to be the pipes and wires of a lot of the AI. So they're helping everybody, which is a very profitable business. They have $15 billion in cash. That's a war chest during bad times. So not only does it protect them on the downside, but it also allows them to expand without incurring additional financing costs, possibly even to buy some of their competitors. Think about this. Berkshire Hathaway at $164 billion in cash and cash equivalents has more cash on its balance sheet than T-Mobile, Disney, Wells Fargo, Nike, UPS, Intel, Morgan Stanley, Caterpillar, Verizon, ConocoPhillips, or Boeing is even worth in total. So if you look at the market cap of any one of these companies, Berkshire has more cash on its balance sheet than some of these companies are worth. That's the absolute problem with small cap. And it's not that you should never buy a small cap stock. It's just in this environment, I think they face a lot more issues than, than a lot of people realize. And that's where I would issue caution. Threat number two, regional banking. So not only do you have high interest costs, but you also have regional banks that are slowing down. I've had a number of small business owners and CEOs tell me, Nick, it's not even that we're walking in from a 3% rate to a 10%. It's that there's just no financing available. We're just not going to issue any more credit. And that is really the issue. So I think the regional banking thing is not over yet. You are going to see more and more issues on the regional banking front over the next couple of years. So just be careful with that. Um, I, I would not rush into regional banks. I heard of a wealth manager who um, was buying, uh, put 20% of the portfolio into regionals, thinking it was a great buying opportunity. I think that's a risk. And so we've got a couple, uh, they're not even really regional names. They're more like, I would almost call it like a, like regional plus names in the portfolio at a one, one and a half percent weight. And that's a dividend play and a little bit of a value trade. But I, I think the 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 fact of the matter is is there's going to be more pain ahead you don't want to try and pick the winners and losers there quite yet at some point they might be a buy though all right threat number three regulation we all agree so don't hear me wrong we all agree that you need some rules some red tapes some stoplights you need to have a playbook that's how you have the rule of law that's made this country so great but when you go excessive regulation, when you do too much, and it's not really that you even do too much or that the rule book is too thick, although that is an issue. The bigger problem is that there's multiple agencies that regulate the same entity. That's the problem. So if you actually talk to small businesses and small business owners, what you find out is it's not like, hey, Nick, we don't want any rules at all, or we disagree with the rule, this rule or that rule. There's some of that. The bigger thing is, Nick, we've got five sets of rules to deal with. How can we possibly deal with this? We don't have 25 or 30 attorneys like the big companies do. That's the difference with small cap stocks. That's another risk. Regulation burdens small caps. And so if you're a politician and you're thinking, hey, we want to do something for the little guy, let's pass a bunch of regulation. Well, that ain't always a good thing to do because when you increase the number of pages in the federal register and you increase how many regulations there are in regulatory bodies you saddle small business with a burden that they just can't deal with 
And this is why in the country, yes, there are problems with our medical system. We have the highest quality system on earth. Everybody from around the world wants to come here for operations. But a big problem with the cost structure here in the U.S. on, on health care is regulation. It's just too darn big. And, and some of these hospitals, I've talked to CEOs of local hospitals here. They go, Nick, we have more lawyers in some cases than nurses working for us. It's, it's nuts dealing with the insurance companies, dealing with all the regulation that goes with that. You have to get this under control. A, a small business, for example, let's say like a small restaurant, not only do they deal with the local agency, but, and then they deal with the state, but then they also have federal compliance rules. Then on top of it, they've got IRS compliance with taxes. They've got OSHA compliance. They've got 55 different agencies that they have to worry about. This is the problem with a big government. It slows down innovation. And over time, the other thing that I think we can all agree on is we want more competition in capitalism, not less. That's the whole point of capitalism is for people to be able to compete and, and be able to come out with a better idea, a new solution or new technology, because that's the stuff that reduces cost. If you want to get inflation down, if you want to get things under control for consumers and for the little guy, you've got to reduce cost. The only way to reduce cost is to have new technology. And the only way you can have new technology is by making it easier for people to form businesses. That's the reality of regulation. Okay, last part of this week's show, I think what you're going to see, and I, there's not a ton of data out on this yet, so this is just pure me, boots on the ground, talking with people. We have a lot of clients we work with, so I get a good sense talking to them of what's going on. I've now heard um, a dozen people get laid off in the past two weeks. And we're talking sm some mid-sized companies, a couple large cap stocks, but mostly small business uh, our, our clients who work for smaller businesses, there are layoffs that have come out. And I know for a fact we did not have the same kind of layoff volume earlier this year. We didn't have it last year, didn't have it the year before other than COVID. And so I, I would just issue a, a, a warning that we are going to have a wave of small business layoffs, which is going to help their profit margins in the short term. But in the long run, it's going to hamper their growth. And what this is also going to do is it's going to slow down consumer spending. That's why last week we wrote that article, The Good Services Whiplash, that I think you could start to see goods, not start to see, you're already seeing it, but you could see goods spending, spending on the Pelotons, the Traegers, the houses, the cars, all that stuff, really take a ma massive dip off, much worse than what's already happened. And that's why I'm very cautious on some of these good stocks. We've been very cautious on the, uh, we've, we've taken some profits here now on consumer discretionary, that's that's you know, Teslas and things like that. And it's not that they're bad companies, but I think what's, what's gonna happen ultimately is as people get laid off from their jobs, they're gonna spend less and that will eventually trigger a recession. Now, does the recession come in 2024? Does it come in 2025? doesn't really matter. You have to stay invested the entire cycle. But uh, uh, I would not be shocked if we do have a correction in the next uh, a, a correction in the next couple months and then a recession in the next couple years because we have this massive drop off, this whiplash in consumer spending habits. So uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. I think people are kind of burning off some of their excess cash that they had during COVID. And the one positive of layoffs is that all these people are coming into a very good job market. There's still 9.8 million unfilled jobs. 
Um, even if that number gets cut in half, like it was at the worst part of 2020 when we had lockdowns, we still have 4.7 million unfilled jobs. And so they're coming into a good job market. It may not be the jobs they're used to or like, but at least they can make an income if they so choose. And uh, this is why I think uh, uh, long run, we're going to be just fine. But it's all about quality. It's all about the best names. It's all about the top companies that have the best balance sheets, the best management teams, the best earnings, the best quality of earnings, and the people that can grow those earnings over the next couple years. So watch out. Um, I still don't think it's a good time to go out and do bottom fishing and look for you know value traps and all this stuff uh, that people tend to do when the market sells off a little bit. I would still be careful. I like the biggest and the best names. Why? Because they will likely get through a, a downturn. So it's not that we have you positioned in the portfolio to never experience a downturn. It's not that we're going to avoid corrections altogether. But when we go through them, we want to make sure that the companies we own make it through the other side alive. That's 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 the difference. So stay invested, stay optimistic. If you're in those target date funds at work, give us a call. We got to get you out of them. We just did the uh, return numbers here for the past couple years. Target date funds across the board have dramatically underperformed the large cap U.S. companies, the best names on earth. So be careful with them. They're overexposed to bonds. They have 40% in many cases in international stocks, Japan, Europe, uh, uh, China. It's been a disaster. So, so if you have this stuff in your portfolio, call us we'll help you get out of it we'll help you rebalance your 401k do a starter account at least get something going with us you can start a relationship with the stenger family office today for a thousand dollars we'll get your with our technology we'll get your 401k linked up help you do a rebalance and then by the time you retire you'll already have had a track record with the group uh, on what to expect for the longer term but watch out for those target dates watch out for the long-term bonds watch out for low quality and stay invested through the entire cycle in the best names on earth. Thank you so much for being with us. We'll see you next week for episode 126.